tonight, please turn to Luke chapter 9, Luke chapter 9 tonight. That's a good old hymn, and Brother Baker and I were up here trying to figure out who wrote it and when it was written, and realized we had it in the binder, so I pulled it out. It was written in 1863. A lot of great truths in it, and uh, moves you to tears, some of those lines, if you'll just listen to them. We, we don't have that in our hymn book, and it was funny, because one night I'd heard it somewhere, and I was singing it. The very next morning, Brother Pipe brought me that sheet music that we're singing from, and I photocopied it and put it in a book, and we're using it, and I uh, appreciate that. And uh, if you have an old hymn, bring it in. We, we enjoy those, and, and uh, they're a help to us. Before we get into our message tonight, Luke chapter 9 is where you're looking. Luke chapter 9, we're going to continue with the miracles of Jesus Christ. I wanted to share a little bit about what's going on and, and what we have seen around here the last few weeks. And uh, we kind of had a domino effect take place, and we were trying to get some things repaired and fixed. And uh, you know how it is when you start tearing something apart, you always find something else that's wrong, and you got to fix it. Then you find something else, and you just keep going. And so over in front of the gymnasium, you'll notice that we have a nice new patio in place there. We had had a problem uh, with our uh, septic system there. We'd had to have it pumped on... uh, uh, track and field day, right in the middle of the day, it started coming up through the ground, and you can imagine 400 kids here. This is a wonderful thing to talk about right before the sermon, isn't it? And uh, so we had to have it all fixed up, and then just in a short amount of time, it happened again, which was unusual. And so we thought there's something wrong, and we got down in there and found that the pump was broken. And uh, we also found that in the process that some of the tanks had not been backfilled properly years ago. And, and so they had shifted and turned and settled the wrong way, and, and different things was going on. And so uh, I don't know how it was built or why it was built that way, but all the electrical components were down underground, underwater. And so now we've put them up on the wall properly where they should be and different things like that. So in the process, when we went to fix the pump, we had to take the tanks and rebuild the tanks and get them settled properly, put proper caps on them, redo the electricity. And then since we tore the grass out, uh, any of these men will tell you and any ladies that have a banquet here will tell you that grass is so difficult to keep clean and cut. The weeds come up and you have to lift a lawnmower over railway ties and cut the grass. So we said enough of that. We made it look real nice and we put a little patio there. And then just a couple decorative elements there and some flowers are going in the spring. Those decorative elements also have lighting on them. And so you can see the front of the building's lit up a little better for security. But let me encourage you, in the springtime, it's going to be a great place for your Sunday school class to have a fellowship. Um, you can have a little barbecue there. We'll have the barbecue around, and you can use it. Please don't put it right on the patio. We don't want to stain the nice new concrete. Keep it on the, on the blacktop. But uh, you're welcome to have. There'll be some seating there, and, and uh, you can have some fellowship, and the door to the kitchen's right there if you need a fridge or whatever. And so let me encourage you. We hope that will encourage some more after-church fellowships. And because it has lighting there, you'll be able to stay and even into the fall uh, when it starts to get dark a little bit earlier. You'll also notice this summer that we were able to uh, fix a portion of our parking lot over in the corner there. It had been totally tore up. Uh, the bus is always turning and cranking and, and going back into the corner there. And so in the process, um, we brought the fellow in. He extended the parking lot another 25 feet. And uh, we, we added lighting. When we did the patio, we were able to run wiring out there as well and put some more uh, street lamps out there. And so we appreciate the men in the church that took care of that. And uh, so the cost of the lighting was very inexpensive because men in the church just took care of that. I believe even the cost of the lighting. And so we appreciate that. But you walk out now. 
down and it looked so bright and beautiful. And then we had, of course, the whole parking lot sealed and striped again, which we need to do about every three years. And so appreciate uh, all the work that's been done this summer by the folks in the church. And I hope it's a blessing to you and a help to you. We also decided that we would, uh, when, when the fellows came with the, with the blacktop, they did the section where the buses are parked. And so that's so much nicer because in the wintertime we get stuck in there and we get, you know, uh, you sink down in on a, saw, on a warm day and then it freezes and you're stuck. And we need those buses. We're running on Thursday night, six buses on a Thursday night now, and very easily could go to a seventh right now in Delhi. We could add another route in Delhi. Um, and so it's a wonderful, wonderful problem that we have, but it's such a blessing. Uh, one of the problems we had over there as well is that when kids were coming out on Thursday nights, it was absolutely pitch black when we were trying to get them on the buses and you can imagine how scared that made us as workers feel and so now the new lighting has helped us tremendously it's much safer and hopefully it'll be much safer for you as you go out to the car especially when there's ice on the ground you better see everything and I hope that's a help and a blessing to you so I'm thankful for the improvements that God has allowed us to make and supplied of all of our needs for that and I hope it's a blessing to you it looks so much nicer and cleaner and uh, I hope that you'll make use of that patio and have some fellowships with your Sunday school class uh, next spring. Um, if, you're, if you want, you can do it right now. I'll just say that. You can go ahead and do that right now. Just shovel the snow out of the way and away you go. And, but I would suggest you wait till spring and we'll look forward to having some uh, fellowship out there. All right. Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Look at verse 1 with me tonight. We're going to look at the feeding of the 5,000. The feeding of the 5,000. And the study of the miracles of Christ has been a great help to me personally because I've had to look beyond just the miracles of Christ or just the power that was exhibited. There's so much more that we can learn from the Lord Jesus Christ about compassion and about mercy, about the different things and why he performed a certain miracle and why he walked by others. Tonight, there's a lesson to be learned that I don't know that I'd ever seen before. And quite frankly, the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, we have the five loaves, the two fishes. The Sunday school children can recite it to you frontwards and backwards. They can sing the little song, five loaves of bread, two little fish and five loaves of bread. And they can sing the little chorus and they can tell us all about this story. And we could be done our message in just a couple minutes. But there's some principles I think we can draw from it tonight. And if we will be attentive to God's word, we might learn from those principles that the Lord shows us. And so let's begin reading in verse 1. And the first several verses are just background But then we'll get in in verse 10 into the miracle tonight. Then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he said unto them, take nothing for your journey, neither staves nor scrip, neither bread, neither money, neither have two coats apiece. And whatsoever house ye enter into, <coughs> there abide, and thence depart. And whosoever will not receive you when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet for a testimony against them. And they departed, and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod the Trecharch heard of all that was done by him, and he was perplexed. Because that it was said of some that John was risen from the dead. And of some that Elias had appeared. And of others that one of the old prophets was risen again. 
And Herod said, John, have I beheaded, but who is this of whom I hear such things? And he desired to see him. And the apostles, when they were returned, told him all that they had done. And he took them and went aside privately into a desert place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. And the people, when they knew it, followed him, and he received them and spake unto them of the kingdom of God and healed them that had need of healing. And when the day began to wear away, then came the twelve and said unto him, Send the multitude away that they may go into the town and country round about and lodge and get victuals, for we are here in a desert place. And he said unto them, Give ye them to eat. (coughs) And they said, We have no more but five loaves and two fishes, except we should go and buy meat for all this people. For they were about 5,000 men, and he said to his disciples, Make them sit down by fifties in a company. And they did so and made them all sit down. And he took the five loaves and the two fishes, and looking up to heaven, he blessed them and brake and gave to the disciples to set before the multitude. And they did eat, and were all filled. And there was taken up of fragments that remained to them, twelve baskets. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, and understand that our access is limited unless we come covered in the blood. And thank you, Lord, for that wonderful privilege of prayer. And Father, as we come to you tonight, we ask that you would minister to us and speak to us. Help us with your word tonight. Fill me with thy Holy Spirit. I need your help. And Father, may the Spirit of God help each one of us. Teach us tonight, we pray. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you understand that from the very first time we were introduced to God, we see him doing things that only God can do? Think about that. Genesis 1 verse 1, what's it say? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's our first introduction to God. And the word created means to make something from nothing. We purchased our building in 92 Parkdale Avenue. And down in the basement, they had put the six days of creation. And on the sixth day, they they put it on the, the big number six on the wall for the children. And it said, God made you. But God didn't make. God created. And there is a difference. We can go home tonight and my wife can make dinner. She will take ingredients that are available to her and put them together in such a way that dinner is made. But the word created means to make something from nothing. And God created the heaven and the earth without anything. He just spoke the word, let there be light. And there was light. And so we see the mighty power of God right from the very beginning. And on the sixth day, he took the dust of the earth and he formed it into the shape of man. And then he breathed into the nostrils of that compacted dirt. And he gave man life. God created man. What I'm trying to point out to you tonight is that though we call them miracles for God, it's just God being God. God doesn't consider the works of his hand miracles. They're just what he does. It's just every day to God. Now think about that, something that you might be in the habit of doing and something that you would do on a daily, regular basis, you would not give any special thought to it for it is habit or something that we do every single day. But, and for God, we look at his miracles, but for God, it's just habit. The Bible said it this way, but with God, nothing shall be impossible. 
God is able to do all things, and so miracles for God are nothing to him. Man calls them miracles for one of two reasons. One, we don't understand it. And two, because we know that only God can do it. That's what a miracle is. If Jesus had come and preached that he was God in the flesh, but did not behave like God and perform miracles, then we might have reason to to complain. We might too accuse him of blasphemy, making himself as of like God. But he did perform miracles. He was God in the flesh. Paul himself said in 1 Corinthians 15 that if Christ be not risen, then your faith is in vain. In other words, if Christ did not have the power to do miracles, then we're just a bunch of fools for believing in him. But he did rise. He did have the power to rise from the dead. The greatest miracle ever performed. And so Jesus came performing miracles and it authenticated who he was. He was God in the flesh. Now having said that, I want to give you this thought tonight. Is that the only reason Jesus did miracles? Think about that with me. Because if the only reason that Jesus ever performed a miracle was to authenticate that he was the son of God, it would almost come across as self-serving, wouldn't it? But I want, I want you to notice from the scriptures tonight that I believe that Jesus performed a lot of miracles just out of compassion. For no other reason than that, that he loved people. He said, how do you know? If Jesus was concerned about authenticating his identity as the very son of God every time he did a miracle, there wouldn't be miracles in the Bible where he'd say, now go and tell no one. But that happened a lot, didn't it? There was plenty of times that Jesus would heal somebody. Just a couple weeks ago, we read about the little girl of Jairus who who had died and was laid in the bed and the people were laughing Jesus to scorn, the Bible says, because he said, she's not dead, she's just sleeping. Those who laughed him to scorn were put out of the house and as Jesus entered into her bedchamber with her mother and her father and Peter, James, and John, they went into that little room and she rose from the dead. But Jesus said, don't tell anybody. This wasn't about him authenticating who he was. This was just about compassion. This was about Jesus loving people. This was about that family losing a little girl and their hearts were broken and Jesus gave her back to them. You know, as I look at the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, and the Bible says that was just the men that were numbered, there were women and children. I have to think that this miracle was not about Jesus authenticating himself. And you say, why? Because everybody was out there already knew who he was. They had come to Jesus for a reason. They already believed that he could heal them of their diseases, and that's why they came. The Bible, as a matter of fact, says that Jesus went away privately into the desert places around Bethsaida. Bethsaida was known as the house of the fish. And it was there that Jesus stole away. It's on the northeastern part of the Sea of Galilee. And he likely went into the northern part, north of Bethsaida, and there into the desert. And the Bible says he went with his 12 disciples privately. And thousands of people followed him out. They already knew who he was. 
They weren't going out just to see what was going on. The Bible says they came to hear about the kingdom of God. And they went there to be healed of their many diseases. And so Jesus didn't have to prove himself to these people. But I want you to see the lesson in this miracle tonight. I believe there's a reason why Jesus fed the 5,000, and I don't want you to miss it. Let's just look at three things quickly tonight. We'll look at the place, we'll look at the plans, but we'll look at the principles. Look, first of all, at the place. The Bible tells us it was a place called Bethsaida. Verse 10, and the apostles, when they were returned, came back from this little missionary journey, told him all that they had done. And he took them and went aside privately into a desert place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. Bethsaida was home to Philip. It wasn't far from Capernaum. It was just east of Capernaum, just a short walk. And likely Capernaum was the major city and Bethsaida was just a small fishing village. And it was Capernaum that Peter and Andrew were from. So the disciples were essentially home. And they went into this desert place. Maybe it was an area that they would have played in as children. And Jesus stole away with them. And it was a place where much activity was taking place. I'm sure many of the disciples took opportunity to visit at home when they came back from this little missionary journey. And there Jesus said, let's go apart and have some private time together in verse 10. Nonetheless, the people found him and they flew to him. Verse 11 says, and the people, when they knew it, followed him. And he received them and spake unto them of the kingdom of God and healed them that had need of healing. I could imagine as the Lord Jesus Christ ministered in this place and many came for healing. And I have to believe that this group that has gathered there, there were more than just lepers and more than just blind and deaf and dumb. More than the lady in the issue of blood and Others that were crippled, there was more than just that. But if I'm going to sit under the teaching of Jesus for a day and hear him talk about the kingdom of God and he's ministering to people that are in the crowd, I have to think that there's a few seniors there that said, boy, I should like to get rid of this arthritis. And Jesus ministered to them. How many of you woke up with some aches and pains this morning? How many of you woke up and put your glasses on off your nightstand? And though you're not blind, you could sure do with some improved sight, couldn't you? How many of you had to put a hearing aid in? How many of you had a little stomach issue? How many of you are coughing and choking like everybody else in Norfolk County? And maybe Jesus ministered even to the smallest need in that place. Because they'd come apart privately. And they'd spent the better part of the day until the, the time began to wear away. But that place was a desert. The Bible says in verse 12, And when the day began to wear away, they came to the twelve. Then came the twelve and said unto him, Send the multitude away. They may go into the towns and country round about and lodge and get victuals, for we are here, look what it says, in a desert place. Verse 10 says they went privately into a desert place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. A desert place is a place with no shelter. I, I don't know if I saw anything while I was in Israel. Maybe somebody here can raise your hand when you were in Israel, but deserts normally have snakes and scorpions. Did we see any of that in Israel? If we had, I would have been running. But normally that's what deserts have, isn't it? Wolves, 
They say, well, there's nothing like that in Israel. You read your Bible. David fought off bears and lions. It's a different day we live in today. Out in that desert were wild animals and scorpions and snakes and it lacked shelter because of the very nature of a desert. There would be very little wood to make fires and we know that a desert loses its heat at night and can become dangerously cold. No vegetation to go and pick for food. There was no other means there to provide for themselves. That's what a desert is. That's the place where Jesus was ministering. And what I mean to bring to your attention by describing this place tonight is that it was a place of very low means. The only help those 5,000 families found in the desert was in the person of Jesus Christ. There was nothing else available to them. I want you to see secondly tonight the plan, the plans. I'll, I'll, I'll say it plural because first of all, we see the plans of men. The plans of men are found in verse 12 and it says, and when the day began to wear away, then came the 12, these men, these disciples, and said unto him, send the multitude away. They may go into the towns and country round about and lodge and get victuals, for we are here in a desert place. Sounds reasonable, doesn't it? For a, a group of men that often lacked common sense, they finally were showing some. Jesus, we're in a bad spot. This is a desert. There's nothing out here. There's no shelter. There's no food. It's going to get cold. There's no firewood. It's a desolate place and no way to take care of ourselves. Except the disciples were forgetting something. The desert is where Jesus was. That's where the presence of God was, was there in the desert. You see, though the place was desolate, what the desert had that the cities did not have was Jesus Christ. It was a good place to be. The plans of men were to send them away, but the plans of the master we find in verse 13. But he said unto them, give ye them to eat. I don't know about you, but I read the first nine verses on purpose. Because in the first nine verses, we read about the Lord Jesus Christ sent out the disciples by two and he told them not to take anything with them. Just let me supply for your need. Don't take a walking stick or an extra coat. Just, just go. When you come to a city, look for a place to stay. If they bid you welcome, stay there until you're done preaching. And when you leave, leave that place. If nobody will receive you, shake the dust off your sandals. The Bible says he gave them power over diseases and unclean spirits. And when they return, they begin to tell Jesus all the stories. And so I can imagine as they first went privately into that desert and sat around, perhaps they begin to tell Jesus, I, I cast this, this, this boy was rolling in a fire and I cast out the demons. And there was another over here that had been sick for their entire life. And I raised them up off their cot. And they begin to tell about all the stories and the things that they had done. And I wonder, was it starting to go to their head? Well, I tell you what, you give somebody a magic wand and they feel like a magician. And Jesus gave these people the very power of God and they felt like they were something. Notice what the scripture says. The scripture says that they told all that they had done. So now they're in the desert. 5,000 men and their women and children came with them. And they said, they got no food, Jesus. They got no place to stay tonight. We should send them away into the cities that they can find victuals and lodging there. 
And I can almost hear Jesus, well, you feel like a bunch of big shots right now, go ahead and feed them. You just got through telling me all the things that you had done. Go ahead and feed them. They couldn't do it, could they? They said, all we got are five loaves and two fish. Oh, but what happened to all that power you possessed? What happened about all the miracles you just did in the last few weeks? Where's your faith? So Jesus said, have them sit down in 50s. And he sat them down and he blessed the food and he broke the bread and they passed it out. And the Bible says they collected 12 baskets. See, the plans of the men were to send them away. The plans of the master was to keep them close. To draw them to his side. Here's some principles for you tonight. Number one, your needs are always better met where Jesus is. Let me say it again because somebody coughed. Everybody hold your breath for 30 seconds. Your needs are always better met where Jesus is. You see, the disciples thought, we've got the answer to the problem. I can almost hear their little powwow, can't you? The Bible says the 12 came together. That means they were having a meeting. What are we going to do? Well, if we, don't, if we don't speak to Jesus, he's just going to keep healing people all night. And he's a, they're getting hungry, I imagine. I'm hungry. I, they must be starving. Let's send them away. Well, maybe we even break them up and we'll give them a plan. You 50 go to the Bethsaida and you 150 go to Capernaum and you and send them to different towns and cities and villages and maybe we'll be able to find enough places for them. We had a plan. But Jesus gave us a principle. Just stay with me. Don't try to figure it out for yourself. Just trust me. Stay close to me. The Bible still says, in all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Philippians chapter 2 was written to the church, or sorry, Philippians 4.19. But my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Are you trusting in him? You're always better supplied for when you stick with Jesus. Well, we, we, we make plans and we think we have the solution to all of our problems, but why not just ask Jesus? Why not turn to him? Here's the second principle. Don't take the presence of Jesus for granted. Don't take the presence of Jesus for granted. I think that's what the disciples did here. Understand that they were traveling with Jesus for three and a half years. And it was easy for them to say, Jesus, let's just send them away. And Jesus is thinking in his heart, are you kidding me? These people could not wait till I got here. You say, how do you know that they're meeting him for the first time? Because they're getting healed. I think if they'd met him before, they'd got healed before. That's, that's just my simple reasoning. That's how I think. A lot of these people had just been waiting for Jesus to make a tour. His popularity had been growing and now he was coming home, so to speak. And he was going to be near Peter and Andrew and Philip's homes. And, and he was going to be ministering to people there and they couldn't wait. And Jesus says, your answer is, send them away from me? No, 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 they couldn't wait for me to get here. I think sometimes we take the presence of Christ for granted. But we are blessed, aren't we? We have so much and God's been so good to us. And God visits us and 
speaks to our hearts and moves in our service and we sit there and ho-hum. Hey, don't take that for granted. There are some people in this world that would die to have the presence of Christ in their life. I've seen these videos where people take Bibles and smuggle them into communist Russia and they get off the plane and they open up those Bibles and people are literally tearing the boxes apart to get a Bible, to get a part of the word of God. There's a preacher by the name of, he's gone to heaven now, Harlan Popoff, who would get a piece of the Bible smuggled into him and they'd have to tear one page at a time and if he were caught with it, they would put him to death in prison. He would take that piece of, that piece of the Bible and he would memorize it. And then they'd smuggle him in another one and he'd memorize it and he'd preach it to the people. But the word of God was so precious to him. The very presence of God would, he said, would illuminate the cell anytime I'd open up that piece of paper and unfold it and read it and the very presence of God was so real. Do you take that for granted? Hebrews chapter four says we can go boldly into the throne room of grace. Do you take that for granted? Every time we pray, we have the opportunity to step into the very presence of God. And yet our prayers are so quick and flippant often. I used to pray with a fellow from time to time that the moment he said the first two words of a phrase, I could finish his prayer for him. Because I knew exactly what he was going to say for the next 30 words. And then I knew the next 30 words as soon as he started the next phrase. And if he was praying for a, a missionary, I knew exactly what he was going to say. Just insert that name. Take it in and out. I've asked Brother Clark next Sunday to preach on rote religion. And that's all that is, is rote prayer. Just reciting over and over again. Empty words. No, you're in the very presence of God. How do we behave in that presence? Don't take it for granted. I think that's what happened with the disciples here. To them, the presence of Jesus Christ was something that they came in and out of all the time and something that they understood and, and enjoyed and appreciated, but they were so quick to say, let's just send them away. Here's the third principle. Though Jesus went away privately, he was never too tired to receive someone. I'm talking about Jesus Christ in the flesh. The physical presence of God on earth who laid aside his glory and took on the form of a man. Who sat beside the well of Sychar and Samaritan woman came to minister to him and the Bible says he sat there because he was weary. Who hung on a cross and said, I thirst. This same Jesus, after this missionary journey, said to the disciples, let's go away privately for a little while. Let's get alone in the desert. No doubt Jesus would spend some time in prayer, spend some time in rest, spend some time teaching his disciples. But his intent was, I need some private time. But he was never too tired to receive someone. Look what the Bible says in verse 11. And the people, when they knew it, followed him. Look at those next few words. Some of the sweetest words in scripture. And he received them. You know, you can always come to Jesus. There's never a time where Jesus is too busy for you. When they came to Jesus, they found hope 
and help and healing. Their help came from the word of God and their hope came from the promises of God and their healing came from the very hand of God. Turn, if you will, tonight to Exodus chapter 33 and we'll be done in just a moment. Exodus chapter 33. You say, what is the miracle of the 5,000? Feeding of the 5,000, teach me then. If I can summarize it one way, I'd say it like this. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Jesus loves me. Never too tired to receive me. Never wants to send me away. But if I'll just stay by his side, he'll take care of my every need. Exodus chapter 33, verse 1. And the Lord said unto Moses, Depart and go up hence thou and the people which thou hast brought up out of the land of Egypt, unto the land which I swear unto Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob, saying, Unto thy seed will I give it. And I will send an angel before thee, and I will drive out the Canaanite, and the Amorite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, for I, will no, for I will not go up in the midst of thee, for thou art a stiff-necked people, lest I consume thee in the way. When the people heard these evil tidings, they mourned, and no man did put on him his ornaments. For the Lord had said unto Moses, saying to the children of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. I will come up into the midst of thee in a moment and consume thee. Therefore now put off thy ornaments from thee, that I may know what to do unto thee. And the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by the Mount Horeb. And Moses took the tabernacle and pitched it without the camp afar off from the camp and called it the tabernacle of the congregation. And it came to pass that everyone which sought the Lord went out unto the tabernacle of the congregation, which was without the camp. It came to pass when Moses went out unto the tabernacle that all the people rose up and stood every man at his tent door and looked after Moses until he was gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass, as Moses entered into the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. Talk about the presence of God. And all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle door. And all the people rose up and worshipped every man in his tent door. So picture the scene with me. The Bible says that God was not pleased with Israel and they had been a stiff-necked people and disobeyed God many times. And so God said, I'll keep my promise and I'll drive out all the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Canaanites and the Jebusites and the Amorites and I will make a path clear all the way to the land of Canaan. But I will not go with you. I'll make the way. I'll drive them out. But I'm not going with you. The Bible said these are evil tidings. It's funny how they didn't appreciate the presence of God until after God said, I'm not staying with you anymore. But then they began to wail. And they stripped off their ornaments and Moses took the tabernacle outside the camp because there was sin in the camp and he pitched it without the camp and the Bible called it the tabernacle of the congregation and the people would rise up as Moses walked towards that tabernacle and they'd wait till he disappeared. Once he was in the tabernacle, the Bible says the cloud would come down and they would stand there at the door of their tents, each one of them, and look towards the tabernacle and they would worship that cloud because it was the very presence of God. Moses, on the other hand, got to stand below that cloud and speak to God as a man speaks to his friend. Now look at verse 11. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. 
And he turned again into the camp. Well, look at what it says next. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. You see, while everybody else was at the door of their tent and they were worshiping that cloud, Jacob says, no, 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 that's not close enough. I want to get into the presence of God. I want to hear the very voice of God. He said, oh, but in the Old Testament, he might have lost his life. It was worth it to Joshua. He wanted to be close to God. And when he got into his presence, when Moses left, Joshua says, "Uh uh-uh, I'm staying right here. This is where God is. This is where I want to be. You see, he understood something that the disciples did not understand. He understood that the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ is very precious. That I'm going to stay right here. I'm not going to be sent away. I don't care what procedure or policy might be there. I'm going to stay right here in the presence of Christ. Let me ask you a question. We'll do a Bible quiz. Who did God choose to be the next leader of Israel? It was Joshua. The only one who said, I'm staying in the very presence of God. Well, there's a lesson for us. You want to do something for God? Get in his presence. Stay there. Allow him to provide for your needs. Have a fellowship with him. And understand that Jesus is never too tired or unkind to receive you and he'll never send you away. That's the love of our Savior. Jesus loves me, this I know, for my Bible tells me so. It's proof right there in the feeding of the 5,000. Let's pray tonight. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we pray, Lord, that you'd help us with it, encourage our hearts. Father, we pray that we'd be blessed by it and helped by it. And maybe tonight, Lord, we'd make a commitment, Lord, that we're going to try to get into your presence and stay there. That we're not going to just be filled with the Spirit, but we're going to walk in the Spirit. That we're going to lean upon you for every decision. That we're going to have a communion with you day by day. And that we'll understand that we're not going to be sent away, but instead we're going to be received by the love of God. Lord, speak to our hearts during this invitation time, we pray. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Let's stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed tonight. If God has spoke to your heart, this altar is open even now. Would you step out and come? Maybe there's one here tonight who says, I don't know what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if I were to die right now, I'm lost without God. I need his saving power to save me from my sins. I need to trust in Jesus to be my Savior. And you... You may not understand it all, but we'd be happy to take a Bible and show you what it means to have eternal life. Is there one here tonight say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I'm not sure I'm saved. I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I'm not a Christian. I'm not a child of God. Would you pray for me? My prayer won't save you, but I'd like to ask God to help you. I'm not going to call it your name. I won't embarrass you. Nobody's looking around. Could I pray for you tonight? Is there one? Maybe there's others here tonight just like to take some time and pray. Brother Baker, you sing.